We've been following John, the Gospel of John, about John's story about Jesus. And uh, till this point, until John chapter 12, if you've been following your devotionals, um, it's all been about the public ministry of Jesus. It's all been about the public ministry of Jesus. Jesus is going and he's doing these amazing miracles. He's doing these signs. He's turning water into wine. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He, he feeds thousands of people and, and he, he, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And he's been doing this. And, and sometimes we forget because it's just 12 chapters, but that is actually three years. Okay, so we only get 12 chapters, but that's already covered three years of Jesus' ministry. And the whole point of John is not to show us the miracles, but the sign. The sign which says, look what these miracles point to. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Now this week, it's like we've kind of finished the first section of John. And from this week, we take a little bit of a turn and we move from his public supernatural ministry into his private, intimate, and personal ministry. Now, we're in John chapter 13. Um, so let's start in verse 1. <laughs> it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, there's a few turning points already just in that, if we just stay on verse 1. right? We've seen so many times where Jesus says things like, my time is not right. It's not my time yet. Why are you getting me involved? It's not ready yet. And yet, now in verse uh, chapter 13, we see Jesus say, he knew the hour had come. So straight away, something's different now. Something's different. But, but it, it's the shift. Secondly, it's the shift from the big public ministry where the big crowd was following him. Remember, he fed you know, over 10,000 people. This massive crowd was following him. He couldn't get away anywhere by himself. But now it shifts to what we call the upper room where he spends his last evening Last Supper, as we would know, um, with his um, 12 disciples that he's been with for the last uh, three years. So let's continue to read the passage. Verse 2 to 5. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, unlike when we have dinner on tables and chairs, or on the floor and chairs, if you're Asian, cushions, um, back in that culture, the meal would have looked like this. This is the picture of the Last Supper. 
Looks like they're on tables and chairs, hey? That's pretty funny. Should have looked at the picture. But it really wasn't like that. It was lounges. It was a low table. Everyone was lounging around. And this is what, this is what 13, chapter 13 starts off as. Jesus is speaking with his 12 disciples. There's no one else there. Now imagine you've spent three years, three years with these guys, three years, and Jesus knows that he's going to be taken away. And so he spent some time with his disciples to teach them and to minister to them. So they're eating, and then suddenly Jesus, at the end of the meal or in the middle of the meal, gets up, takes off his jacket, wraps a towel around his waist. And at this point, the disciples must have been very confused. Like, why is Jesus getting ready to have a shower? You know, like, they would have been super confused. And, and then Jesus does this thing that is known by many people, but he does this thing which is outrageous. He gets a bucket, he fills it with water, and he starts to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, we need to pause at that point. You've got to understand the culture and the context of this. You know, we're not talking about Reeboks or Nikes and socks. We're talking about sandals. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're talking about Havianas at best, you know. And we're not talking about paved roads. We're not talking about nice carpeted areas inside. We're talking about dirt roads with gravel and dust. So the dirtiest place of your body, even from walking to your house to the shops, are your feet. Now, traditionally, when you came to our home, at the front, in the, in, in the front room, would be a basin of water. And before you walk into the house, you would take off your sandals. You would wash your feet in that basin of water and then in, enter the house. Now, if the house was wealthy, they would have a servant that would do that for you. But what I've been told is, even amongst servants, that was the lowest of jobs. Making beds, doing dishes, vacuuming. And then it was washing the feet of guests. Um, so it's this idea that washing the feet of someone wasn't the weird part of this night. Because it was culturally quite normal. It was the fact that it was Jesus that was washing their feet. Their teacher, their leader, their Lord and Savior would get down and dirty and wash the feet. Well, that was unheard of. No teacher did that. No leader did that. That would be scandalous. And so you can imagine how awkward this evening's becoming. Let's keep moving, verse 6 to 11. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. 
And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, Peter is the oldest of the disciples. He's probably about 22, 23 at the time. And he, honestly, people think that Peter is a bit of an idiot. He's outspoken. He's rash. But you know what? I I relate to Peter the most because he's an idiot. Because I feel like I'm like that too. Peter's response is the exact same response that I would have had. If one of my teachers or even my my grandparent or someone that was well-respected in the community, I kid you not, even if any of you were like, hey, Steve, I'd like to wash your feet, I'd be like, hmm, weird. Okay? There is no way. And I kid you not, there would be no way where I would allow any of you to get anywhere near my feet, especially during this time. Okay? (laughs) Too close. Too close. You know, that's a very... Very normal response because Peter knew who Jesus was. He was the son of God. And there was no way that the son of God was going to wash his feet. And yet Jesus says, look, if I don't wash your feet, if I don't wash you, then I'm not going to have any part of you. And what Jesus is talking about is the relationship. This washing of feet also symbolizes spiritual washing. That's what Jesus is doing. He wants to wash each and every one of us. And so Jesus says, if, 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 unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Jesus focuses on the relationship rather than the act. And then Peter, being Peter, he goes to the other extreme. Says, oh, well, Jesus, well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my hands and my head. And, and Jesus says, look, for everyone that's clean, you, you only need to wash the feet. And he says this because he knew that there was someone that was not clean in Judas Iscariot. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus acknowledges. <coughs> Jesus acknowledges who he is. He doesn't play that down. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. But even though I am your Lord and teacher, I Wash your feet. Why? To show the example of what they should do for each other and towards others. Jesus is showing his disciples before he gets taken away, dies on the cross, resurrects, all of that. This is kind of his last opportunity to minister to his disciples. This is how you love people. This is how I want you to care for people, to serve people. He says, servants are no greater than their master and that the messengers are no greater than the one who sent them. So he understood social pecking order. He's not not flipping up social pecking order. He understands that there is an order in society, that there is no one greater than God and that the teachers, the masters are greater than the servants. But If Jesus, who is the Lord and Savior, the Son of God, is going to be able to wash your feet, then surely you should be able to wash the feet of others. Jesus 
in the act of washing his disciples' feet, throws all of this up in the air because he does it differently and he represents a different way because he's from a different kingdom. Now, there are three things that we need to really take from this passage. The first is this. Jesus is the servant leader. The act of washing feet, the lowest of low acts, we ask ourselves why Jesus did this, and we find the answer back in verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus got on his knees and washed his disciples as an act of love. As an act of love. He did it because he loved them. See, till this point, Jesus is described as an amazing miracle worker, as a supernatural God who came to heal and help people. But the picture that we see of Jesus in this chapter is very different. You know, we see this amazing like, public figure doing these amazing things, and suddenly in the inner room with his closest people, the way he loves them is intimate. He, he, he desires intimate relationship one who is deeply connected with his people, one who is willing to get on his knees to show his love and care for them. See, many beings or people that claim to be God, claim to have power, are seen as abusive as they, as they wield that power and their status. Even in the world we live in today, there are so many people that are of status or of power, men and women of these positions in, in leadership that... They abuse that position and, 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 and they do whatever it takes to make themselves look good. And while they do that, they just step on people under them. They just trample on people under them. And yet the picture of Jesus is the complete opposite. Even though he is the greatest leader, we see him act and respond in complete and utter humility. This said, the, the idea that someone of higher status doing a menial task like washing your feet would be very uncomfortable. Um, I remember when I was in year nine, um, we went off to camp and then on the last night we came back from dinner and on the stage there were all these chairs set up and all these buckets of water underneath them and straight away I knew... Oh, wow, we're going to do some feet washing tonight. You know, if you go to church for a while, you know what's going on. But I didn't know who was washing whose feet. I thought, oh, maybe we'll just take turns in each of the groups and wash each other's feet, and that's cool. I'm a, I'm a year nine kid. I don't know anything, right? Anyway, the preacher's preaching and talking about love and talking about how, you know, love, you know, is, is all about going the distance, is doing the extra and he says, you know what, you know, your teachers, they love you so much, they're going to wash your feet. And so, I kid you not, just like Peter, I was like, hell no. <laughs> my teacher at that time was around my dad's age. He's a guy that I knew really well. He had kids um, that were a few years younger than me. And I looked at him, and I kid you not, and we used to call him Mr. Bean because he looked like Mr. Bean. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I was like, there is no way, there is no way I'm going to let you wash my feet. It was the Asian inside of me, you know, that whole cultural pecking order. We, there's no way. And I, I reckon most of us would have felt the same thing at the time. There is no way 
And, and you know what? Naturally, it's like that. Right? Naturally, we feel like that. But it was interesting because we got encouraged to go. And I just remember, I just remember bawling my eyes out as his teacher was washing my feet. And I knew my feet smelt. You know, like I was a year nine kid at camp. Like I didn't even take extra socks. You just need one pair, right? You know, like it was dirty. You know, it was the last day. It was so dirty, smelly, you know, and he's there and he's washing it. And I was like, and I was crying because I felt so bad because my feet smelled as well. And, and I just felt so bad and I just felt so loved. I was like, man, why would, he, why would this guy do this? And there was this really weird moment because if you think about it, there's a few ways you can wash feet. You know, you know they, they hold your foot and they wash on top of it and then they sort of hold your ankle and they wash on bottom of it. I don't know why. My teacher really loved me, but he got in there. <laughs> he got in between the toes, you know. It was like... I was like, I was crying, and I was like, oh, this is weird. You know, it's like, <laughs> but also enjoyable at the same time. Um, it was weird. But I remember I walked out, and you know what? I don't remember anything from that camp. I actually remember very little from all of the camps that I went to six years of high school, but I remember that very clearly. And I remember that teacher, and I'll never forget that teacher because he loved me, and he showed me that. This is who Jesus is. Now, I know sometimes for some of us, our view of Jesus is this powerful miracle worker. Sometimes we see Jesus as an angry man. You know, we see Jesus as a socially awkward man. You know, we have all these views about him. But, but how about this? Jesus is the humble leader. How about this Jesus who loved you so much that he would come and not just wash your feet, but he would die for you. You know, he doesn't sit up there on his throne wielding his power and might, but he humbly loves and serves his people. This is our Jesus. The second thing we need to understand from this story is this is also a picture of a humble God, of our humble God. <coughs> not, only, <coughs> not only do we see Jesus as a humble leader, but the whole scene actually reminds us of God's great story. See, in the same way that Jesus humbled himself to serve like a slave, God, who's creator God, he humbled himself to come on earth and hang out with his creation through the person of Jesus. It shows this picture of a loving God who is not far away, but is genuinely loving, genuinely concerned about each and every one of us. See, the thing is, God did not have to come. Jesus did not have to come. God could have, he could have just wiped us all out, start all over again. But his love for us, his concern for you and I. See, if we believe in fairness and justice, if we believe that we should receive what we deserve, then none of us deserve God. None of us do. God created us and gave us existence. He gave us life. And what do we do? We take God for granted. We rebel against God. We reject him. We, do. we say, we don't need you, God, because I'm going to be God. I'm going to call the shots in my life. If we really think that, that we want justice, then we don't get God. 
But despite of what we deserve, God humbled himself to us. And instead of receiving justice, we received mercy. <coughs> God humbled himself to come and dwell amongst us, and he saved us from our sins. Jesus washing the feet of the disciples was an act of love, and God sending his one and only son, Jesus, to us is an act of love. He didn't do it for any other reason but because of his love for you and I and for every other human on this earth. This picture of Jesus getting on his knees to wash the feet of the disciples is actually a picture of our humble God that loves us very much. And thirdly, <coughs> Jesus is the example to follow. Verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. How interesting it would have been if the coronavirus wasn't around and I set up a whole bunch of buckets here today. That'd be an interesting Sunday, hey? Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be ready for that, eh? It'd be weird because someone would do that whole toe thing. You know someone would. Jesus calls us to follow his example. He did it to show his disciples, this is how you love, this is how you serve. But watch me, watch what I do, do what I do. Learn to be humble, learn to love, learn to serve those around us and even those who we may feel who are lower than us. Now in this passage, and I don't really touch on it much, but remember, there are 12 disciples. Jesus washed the feet of all 12, including who? Judas Iscariot. Did Jesus know Judas was going to betray him? Of course he did. It says it in the passage. He knew. So it's not that Jesus just loved on the disciples that he liked or the ones that were good. Imagine Jesus on his knees washing the feet of Judas Iscariot, the guy who's going to betray him for 30 measly silver pieces. And he's there and he's washing his feet. See, it's not, when Jesus says go and love, it's not just about go and love those that are similar to you. And it's not about go and love those that are lovable. It's actually go and love anybody and everybody, including your neighbor and including your enemy. That's what scripture says. <coughs> Here's a question Could you do that? Wash the feet of your enemy? You know? You know, what, what does it mean? What does it mean when Jesus says, be, be followers of me, follow my example as I've shown you? And we need to understand what does this mean for us in our day to day lives? Now, while I was preparing this, um, I came across a very interesting post that I thought was uh, very relevant to us. So I want to read out this post. And it says this, and we'll go to the first picture. <coughs> After washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus on bended knee says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that's John 13. That's some of it that we've read. And then later in John 13, Jesus says that, This is the new commandment I give to you, love one another. We'll go to the second picture. In the second century, the world was struck by the Anton Plague. 
And this was 165 to 180 AD. It is believed that the pandemic was introduced to the Roman Empire by soldiers returning from Syria. Five million people died. Right? This is, this is now history. This is, not, you know, this is not Bible. This is history. Okay? Five million people died in this plague. The next century, next picture, the plague of Cyprian. 551 to years 566 AD spread across the world from Africa. (coughs) It was transmitted person to person by physical contact and half of all the people who encountered the disease died. Half. 50% of people that got this disease died. The coronavirus is about, what, 2 to 3%, they say? Depends on country. But this plague... In 251 to 266, 50% of people died. It is said that during each pandemic, government officials and the wealthy fled cities to the countryside to escape those who were infected. It was, however, men and women of faith who stayed behind. Instead of hiding in shadows, they faced the darkness. Instead of running in panic, they entered the disease. Instead of fearing death, they offered light, love, and life. Bishop Dionysus praised the efforts of the early Christians, and I've got the quote. Most of our Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took care, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, and cheerfully accepting their pains. More recently, the Black Plague in England, while the masses were escaping the cities, escaping the plague plague, and certain death, it was the Christians. It was the Christians that stayed to care for the vulnerable, to look after the sick. And ultimately, most of these Christians also died because of the plague. Now let me ask you tonight, if Jesus was around right now, if Jesus was around right now in this era of the coronavirus, what would his response be? (coughs) What would Jesus do during this time? Secondly, if Jesus was around right now and he saw how you responded, how would he take that? How close is our response during this time of chaos and need? How close or how far is it from what Jesus says to us, follow my example and wash the feet of your neighbor? When we see people fighting in shopping centers over toilet paper, people are stocking up to look after themselves and their families. When people are receiving uh, racism, in all types, forms, and shapes. 
When people are overlooking the needs of the vulnerable just because they're looking after themselves, surely we look at that and we think to ourselves, this is pretty far away from the example that Jesus wanted us to follow. Now, while researching and and praying over this passage, I had to repent. The whole panic buying thing, we had a chat about it with some people this morning, but you know, that's a real thing, still on. And I'd love to say, I'd love to say that your pastor was so holy, just trusted in the Lord, waited for manna from the sky, you know. My, I was at Woolworth, 6.30 a.m., 30 minutes before the store opened, because we, I kid you not, we were running out of rice. I got four kids. They all eat rice, right? And I responded as a father would. And it was like, I need to look after them. So as much as, you know, we look at people panic buying and whatnot, you know, I'll put my hand up and say, you know, I've got 50 kilograms of rice at my house. You know, there were these stories that came out of these, the elderly people that they only go shopping once a week. And they get to the shops. There's no toilet paper. They're not going to turn up 6.30 a.m. They're not going to fight other people to get toilet paper. They just don't have it. These are the most vulnerable. And the whole time while I'm reflecting on this passage, thinking about, well, what would Jesus have done? 100%, it wouldn't have been what I did. You know, what's so interesting is we went from bushfires, everyone being so generous to each other, let's support each other, let, <coughs> let's donate thousands, millions of dollars to each other, let's, let's be there for each other. We went from that. That was in January, right? That was the end of last year into this year. And suddenly we went from that kind of a community to fighting over toilet paper. Fighting over rice. We went from what I think was a very selfless community and we became so selfish. Myself included. We didn't care about the vulnerable. We didn't care about the sick. We just care about ourselves. How is this what Jesus wanted from us? How is this even any even close to what Jesus asked us to do to love each other? To get on your knees and wash each other's feet. So I had to repent. I had to say sorry to God because I could see in myself the selfish nature that came out during this time of chaos. I understand it from other people, right? but it's not enough. And so my headspace has completely changed around all this stuff. I still got 50 Ks of rice. But here's the thing. If you ever run out of rice, I got you. Okay? If you need toilet paper, I want us, I want our church to be that church that you can turn up and if you have a need, we can help you. That's what Jesus would have done. 
It would have never been about stockpiling. It would have never been about, I'm going to look after myself. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to just... It would have been about who is the needy, who is the vulnerable, and how can we serve them? So take a moment. Just take a moment and think about where you're at right now. In context of Jesus, who just washed the feet of his disciples, think about where you're at right now. Think about your financial situation. You know what's so sad? They say that massive amounts of businesses, because of this season, they're just going to die. You know, like literally, people are losing jobs. Even in our community, people have lost jobs. And this is just the beginning. What's our response to this? What is your response to the whole coronavirus? You know what the world's response is? Pull back, put your mask up, protect yourself, see what happens. And I just don't think that's what Jesus would have done. And I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. I also don't think that Jesus is saying, run straight into the fire, no, no equipment, you know, no extinguisher, whatever, right? I saw this meme. Memes are great, right? It says, go wash your hands and then go wash someone's feet. And I think that's so true. Like if, if you're not well, you can't help. So please be, be sensible. But if you can help, help. If you can serve, serve. If you can love, love. Let's not get caught up. Let's not get caught up in ourselves. If anything, this is the time for the church. It's during chaos and times of uncertainty. This is the time where Jesus' followers are called to stand up and be accountable. Jesus says, it's the way you love one another, that's what's going to set you apart as my disciple. Not knowledge, not wealth, the way you love. And Jesus gives us that example by getting on his knees and washing the feet of those around him. So, friends, what will you do? We're right in the middle of it. Workplaces are getting shut down, work from home. You know, schools nearly got shut down. Thank you, Jesus, for not shutting down schools. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do with all the kids at home. You know, like, but, you know, I think schools will get shut down. Church, hey, let's be grateful that we got to meet today. We don't know if we're going to be able to meet next week. It's not going anywhere. But we've got to work out how we're going to respond to this as a church, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple. I believe Jesus is really, really calling each and every one of us out tonight and saying, look, this is the way I showed you how to love. So go and do that. Go and do that. Can I finish with some very practical tips? 
Number one, look, at, look after yourself. No, as I said, if you're sick, you are useless to other people. Right? You can't help other people when you're sick. Look after yourself. Number two, look, ta- look after your neighbor. Right? I'm, 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 I'm talking about your physical neighbor. Knock on the door of the neighbor next to you. Whether you know them or not, knock on the door and go, hey, you got everything you need? Right? Especially if there are people in your neighborhood that are vulnerable, the elderly, the disabled, if there are people like that, go and knock on their door. Make sure they're all right. If you've got grandparents, uncles, aunties, if, you, if there are people that are sick around, go and call them. Go and meet them. Be practical about this. Finally, in the church, in our life groups, in the people that you and I know, let's look after each other. It said, there are people here that are not here today because they're sick. Call them. Make sure they're doing all right. Make sure that you know, they don't need anything. Let's follow the example that Jesus set us. Wash your hands. And then let's go wash some feet. Amen? Let's pray.